0: Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. This morning I'd like to look at uh, the idea of our worship, coming before God in worship like to look at the fact, the feeling, and the form of our worship. Psalm 96, I'll begin reading at verse 7. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. I'll stop reading there. You notice the theme in these verses? is give. Give, 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 give. Dr. James Kennedy once said, Many people view the church as they do a theater. They view the minister, the song leader, and the Sunday school teacher as the main actors. They view God as the prompter, and they view the congregation as the critic. The truth is that the congregation is the main actor. The minister, song leader, and Sunday school teachers are the prompters, and God is the critic. Song leaders, Sunday school teachers, ministers, you are here to lead in worship, in giving. And I'm afraid my focus when it comes to worship is backwards. Too many times, too often I come to God in worship focusing on my emptiness rather than focusing on God's fullness. And there's a difference. Both are true, but where is your focus? Do you come before God in worship Focusing on your emptiness, how empty and needy you are, or do you come focusing on the fullness of God? I come to worship service many times seeking to snatch up any blessing or fulfilling thought that might come my way. And that's why I come too often that's why I come. That's focusing on my emptiness. When I come hoping to hoping to get any fulfilling thought or or blessing that might come my way. True worship, according to Psalm ninety-six, is giving the Lord the glory due to His name, bringing our worship to Him. Give unto the Lord. Give unto the Lord. Give unto the Lord. Bring an offering, verse nine. Oh, worship the Lord. We do not worship God in order to receive a blessing we worship God because we have received blessings and as a result of that we will receive a blessing. <coughs> turn with me to Romans 12 verse 1. A familiar verse but I still if you could still turn to it we will be there for a little bit then I have another passage in Matthew for you to look at, but Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do you know what that means? In the NIV it says this, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Or we say in in King James it says, This is your reasonable service. What that means is this is your this is your spiritual act of worship. When we offer our bodies and everything about us to God, that is an act of worship. So keep that in mind as we turn to Matthew 22. This thought is not original with me, but it is very profound. Matthew 22. The Pharisees here were coming to Jesus and they asked him if they should be paying taxes or not. Is it lawful or should we or shouldn't we? I'll begin reading at verse 19, Matthew 22, verse 19. They had just asked Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? Verse 19, Jesus says, show me the tribute money, and they brought to him a penny. And he saith unto them, whose is the image and the superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, render therefore to Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went on their way. The last verse says they marveled, they left him and marveled and went on their way. I wonder what all is in that word, and they marveled. What does that mean? Jesus established for them, listen carefully to this, he established for them the image of Caesar is on the coin, therefore it belongs to Caesar, right? Their next question should have be, well then, what, what belongs to God? If they would have asked that question, Jesus would have said, whose image is on you? I love that. Whose image is on you? If the image of Caesar is on the coin and that belongs to him, whose image is on you? Who do you belong to? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him which is your reasonable service, or which is your spiritual act of worship. Giving ourselves to God. We belong to Him. We're made in the image of God. Therefore, we give ourselves to Him. That is worship. We give Him our praise. We give Him our thanksgiving. We give Him our time, our talents, our money. So when we give ourselves in service, everything we give in service must first be an offering to God. When I bring a message on a Sunday morning, it must first be an offering to God. Song leaders, the songs you select, the songs you lead, must first be an offering to God. The way we conduct ourselves in our appearance must first be an offering to God. If we are presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice... If there is any part of self-service in our living sacrifice, it is no longer an acceptable act of worship. Is that too strong to put it that way? If there is any part of self-service in our living sacrifice, it has to be removed or it's not acceptable to God. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 19 through 26. This is Jesus meeting the woman at the well. John chapter 4, 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall, neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem, worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. I'll stop reading there. So what is worship? I gave you some ideas already of presenting ourselves, giving ourselves to God. Whatever we give to God must first be an offering to him. Whatever we give in worship needs to be an offering to him. But what is worship? Worship is an attitude of reverence, admiration, awe, adoration, and profound respect. Worship is a condition of the soul reflected in outward expression. Worship is a condition of your soul reflected in an outward expression. Here in John 4, Jesus said, We the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. What is the difference? Well, the spirit is the attitude or the the inner, the condition of the soul is the spirit. That's, we need to worship with our soul. So we need to worship in spirit. It's those, that attitude of reverence and awe and adoration. And truth. says so the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And truth is that outward expression of our worship, which is so often confused with other things. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But we worship in spirit, and then that expression we worship in truth. Verse 23 here in John 4, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What are the true worshipers? Is there a false worship? It says the true worshipers shall worship the Father. William Temple gives a good example or a good definition of what true worship is. William Temple says it is submission of all of my nature to God. It is the quickening of my conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of my mind by his truth, purifying of my imagination by his beauty, the opening of my heart to his love, and the surrender of my will to his purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration. I don't think he left any part of our being out of that. Let me read that again. The quickening of my conscience, the making alive of my conscience by his holiness. The nourishing of my mind by his truth. The purifying of my imagination by his beauty. The opening of my heart to his love. And the surrendering of my will to his purpose. That is what true worship is. Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, then what does it say? He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. When you come before God in purity, with clean hands and a pure heart, if we have not lifted up our soul unto vanity, we have not sworn deceitfully, then the result, notice it's the result, that's not why he's coming, but the result of coming is then he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. If you come to God in true worship, the result will be a blessing from the Lord. And we can't find these things within ourselves. We cannot find this these clean hands. We can't find a pure heart. You can't conjure this stuff up inside of yourself. We go to God for cleansing in preparation for worship. Do you know that worship of any sort takes preparation on your part? It's not something you can jump into. Why do we worship? We know what worship is, but why do we worship? Two main reasons we worship is we are born with that. All men are worshipers. We will. We are born with something. Every human being that ever was or will be is born with something inside them that they will worship something. They will find something to worship a god of some sort, whether you call it a god or not. There will be something you will worship. Paul refers to the Gentiles who do by nature the the things contained in the law. Romans 2 says, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these these having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Every human being there's something in our nature that we will worship. So why do we worship? That's the, that's the first reason. We will worship something. We look for fulfillment outside of ourselves, whether that's... We look for it outside of ourselves, but we, we need it outside of ourselves. But we look for it too often inside of ourselves. We look for it in possessions, in or the world around us. Look at what the world around us looks for that fulfillment in. In themselves, in possessions, in money in entertainment, recreation, amusement, whatever it is. Second reason we worship is it is it is the result of being a Christian. Who you are determines what you do, and what you do reflects who you are. Think about that. Who you are determines what you do. And what you do reflects who you are. You as a Christian who is right with God will worship. And therefore, your worship is a reflection of you as a Christian you can't separate the two but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father not might or should or it says they shall they they will true worshipers will worship we're called to worship exodus 20 says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. We are called to worship God. So we worship him because... All men are worshipers. We worship because it's a result of who we are as a Christian, as a child of God. We worship Him because we are called to worship. We are, com- we are commanded to worship, but we are not compelled to worship. And I touched on this earlier, I think, earlier in the week, in Joshua. It says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers serve which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land he dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And serve, in this passage, if you look up what serve means, means worship. So choose you this day. Who are you going to worship? It's a choice. It, we're not compelled to worship. It's a choice. And yet it is something that if you are a Christian, it's something you will do. If we're going to worship God, we need to sense him in our lives. It's hypocritical and it's a drudgery to serve God without sensing him in your life. And if you sense God without serving him, you aren't worshiping him. Jesus said, we shall worship in spirit and in truth. God must be on our hearts when we come to worship, and we must enter into the proper spirit to worship him sincerely. In Matthew 15, it says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commands of men. The Pharisees here were serving God without sensing Him, which is hypocritical and a drudgery, both of those things, to serve God without sensing Him. But let me read that first verse again. This is Matthew 15, verse 8. It says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. So far it sounds good but their heart is far from me. And I say this carefully, but sometimes I think when we come before God, whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or in our private worship at home, we are good at knowing the right words. We draw nigh to Him with our mouth and honor Him with our lips. We know what to say and when to say it, but... Is your heart truly in a condition to worship God? It's not something that can be just put on and taken off just like that. We know the doctrine. We know the right forms of worship. We have our songs, then our devotional, then our Sunday school, then a song, then a sermon, then a song, then we're done. We know the form. What about... Is our heart as prepared as we look on the outside when we come before God in worship? Unless we are worshiping God as a result of sensing him in our heart, it is not the true worship that he's talking about in John 4. But, on the other hand, you might not always feel... Like worshiping. If you are honest with yourself, and I'm being honest about myself, I don't always feel like worshiping. There was an evangelist in Cambodia several years ago. They were doing some work there, working among the Buddhist monks. And one night they were leading one of these monks or a priest or whatever it would be leading him to Christ. And it was a hard-fought battle. It is so ingrained in their mind, this tradition, this religion. And this evangelist, this young evangelist and his interpreter worked late into the night, late into the night, and finally a victory was won. And this this Buddhist gave his heart to the Lord. Probably two in the morning, they went back to their Apartment, and they went to sleep. And their custom was to get up at four o'clock in the morning, and they went up on their roof usually, and they would they would pray, they would prepare their heart for the day, for the next the next series of meetings they were having. And the alarm clock went at four o'clock, when it usually did. And the evangelist had been in bed in two hours. And he said, "Ah, oh, I'm." I'll I'll get to it. And he shut his alarm off, went back to sleep. He woke up at six o'clock two hours later and went up on his roof to begin his worship time. And his interpreter was just coming down. And he had been up there since four o'clock. And he said, the evangelist said to his interpreter, he "said weren't you too tired to get up and go up and have your time with God?" He said, "I was." He said, "I did not want to go, but he said if ever if ever there was a time." To worship and seek the heart and mind of God, it was after the battle for a man's soul. That is true worship. I don't know how it is with you. This is a much milder version of that, but many times on a Wednesday evening, I do not feel like going to prayer meeting. I work all day. I come home and I have a good supper. And there's nothing I'd like better than to just sit down and read, or maybe there's a pressing project in the house. And I do not feel like going. But I can promise you this. Every time I go when I don't feel like it, I never leave disappointed. There is a blessing when we can come before God offering Him what meager meager things we have. There is blessing in that. In worship, we need to give the God the glory he desires. I came across a story that, again, isn't about me, but it's it may as well be. So this story is written in the first person, but it, it isn't about me. It says, early in our marriage, I gave my wife a terrific anniversary gift, a rain gauge, At least I thought it was a great gift. Susan, after all, is a farmer's daughter and keeps close watch on the weather. I envisioned her delight and nostalgia while tracking our backyard precipitation. I congratulated myself on my creativity. Guess what? Susan was not impressed. A rain gauge for our anniversary? The rain gauge is now a family joke. A classic example of a gift enjoyed by the giver, but not by the receiver. Do you see the parallel in our worship to God? We give God a gift that is too often enjoyed by the giver rather than by the one receiving it. We hear the term authentic worship. What is authentic worship? Usually, I've concluded, authentic worship means we are trying to create an experience that helps the worshiper feel something. And if our focus is only on trying to create an experience, I think we are giving God a rain gauge, a gift that we enjoy giving to him because we feel something, we feel good about it, but it isn't at all what he's seeking, something enjoyed by the giver rather than the receiver of the gift. To come to God seeking an experience, trying to give Him something, a gift we enjoy, figuring He will like it. <clears throat> it's a gift we enjoy rather than the receiver. A real gift or real worship means coming before God knowing what is important to the receiver or what's important to Him. This man who wrote that story, the guy who gave his wife a rain gauge, probably would have gotten a little further if he would have thought about what his wife would appreciate. Do we come giving God in worship what we know he will appreciate? Psalm thirty-four eighteen says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. That's what God wants in our worship. That's what He needs us to give Him. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. First Chronicles 16 says, Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We're told to give glory to God in our worship, not our entertainment, not our feel-good feelings. We are to give God the glory due unto his name. And that that can't happen until we realize who he is and who we are and who we can become as a result of what he's done for us. We think about the gift of what... What Jesus has done for us—the gift of salvation—we think about that every March or April, around the time of Easter. But did you ever ponder that? Just really think about where you would be if that—if none of that had happened, if God had not sent His Son in the first place, and if Jesus had had had. Uh, he realized what would happen he realized we would many people would turn him down but if he would have acted on that logically and said you know what it's not worth it. there's only going to be a in in light of all of humanity there's going to be a handful of people that are going to turn to me and even those ones are going to let me down over and over it's not worth it what if he would have done that that's the way we that's the way we think logically if you realize what he has done for you and the hopelessness and your lostness without that, if we can realize that, we can give him the glory due to his name and our our entertainment and, and us worrying about leaving feeling good, we will because that's the result. But if that's our focus, it's not true worship. So how do you know That's what I was saying earlier. Sometimes we confuse this true worship with our entertainment because either way you're going to leave feeling good. But how do you know which is true worship? If we bring God entertainment, you're going to leave feeling good. There's no doubt about it. But if you can bring God true worship, you will also leave with a blessing. So how do you determine which it has been? If you have submitted all of your nature to God, it is true worship. It is not entertainment. If you have submitted your conscience to his holiness, it is not entertainment. It is true worship. If you have submitted your mind to his truth, your imagination to his beauty, your heart to his love and your will to his purpose, that is true worship. And you will not do that if you are out seeking an experience for yourself. That is how you can determine whether you have had true worship or not. Now the form of our worship, and this is where it gets practical in our lives. If you don't worship God individually in your personal devotional life, I don't believe you will be able to worship him collectively when you come to church. That is a strong statement but I believe it's true. If you don't worship God personally in your personal devotional life I don't think you'll be able to worship Him collectively when you come together. This is a, this is a beautiful thing when we can come together in a worship service like this. But each one of you is a sanctuary of God. God living in your heart. And if that only gets a spark of life on a Sunday morning or Sunday night, I don't think that'll work. A personal, vibrant life with God, a worshipful life with God, is important every single day of the week. Turn with me to Exodus 25, verse 8. I mentioned earlier, our hearts and our lives need to be prepared in coming to worship. Exodus 25, verse 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. stop reading there, but there's a command here to make the tabernacle exactly like God told them to. For the next six chapters, God goes on in great detail of how the tabernacle was to be built, how it was to be constructed. The duties of everyone involved was laid out in specific detail. Chapter 26 gives the color and size of the curtains in the tabernacle, what they were to be made out of. Chapter 27 gives the exact dimensions of the court. Chapter 28 gives the duties and exact clothes of the priests. Chapter 29 gives specific instruction on sacrificing. Chapter 30 is details on the interior of the tabernacle. Chapter 31 talks about who would oversee this work. Now turn a few pages to chapter 29, verse 43. Exodus 29, verse 43. He had just gone through all of these chapters explaining how things need to be, how the house of the Lord needs to be prepared. And he says, and there will I meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. He says, if you do it this way, for all these chapters, all these details, he's saying, We'll build the tabernacle like this, and this, and this, and this, and this specifically. And then here in chapter 29, he says, And there I will meet with you. I will sanctify the tabernacle with my glory. There, that is where I will meet with you. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy which temple ye are. We are, our hearts, our lives, our souls, is the tabernacle of God today. And if God was so concerned that he would spend all this time and effort in the Old Testament here in Exodus explaining the importance of having the tabernacle just right and pure and holy, ready for him to worship, don't you think, don't you think there's a parallel for our hearts today? Don't you think there's some preparation that needs to take place in our hearts before we come to God to worship? I find nowhere in Scripture where he suddenly doesn't care if that tabernacle is as ready as it was in the Old Testament. We need to have our lives prepared for worship. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? Who's going to come be? who's capable of coming before God? Then it says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, he's prepared himself, who has not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. If you don't feel in tune with God when it comes to worship, you need to ask yourself two questions. Are you irrelevant to God? Or is God irrelevant to you? It's going to be one of the two. Worship is not something you can jump into, not something you can just take on and off. And now I said it was going to get practical. In most cases, I don't believe you can come to church five minutes early, just five minutes early, or on time, or five minutes late, and expect to join in the one who is leading leading the congregation in worship, whether it's the song leader. Or a devotional or a message. Came across an editorial in the Christian Contender from about 1960 something. It says if we go to a business meeting, we stop our work. We prepare our minds, we arrive on time, we stay awake and alert and appreciate what we receive. We go away thankful for benefits received and put what we have learned into practice. As a result, we find ourselves closer to the goal we have in mind for ourselves and those we are responsible for. Does this describe our approach to meeting with God? If we are satisfied to sleep in church, we may as well stay home and sleep in bed and declare by that action that we are not interested enough in God's truth to discipline ourselves to receive it. If we are satisfied to arrive late or stay away from services, we actually declare that, in our opinion, God can wait until we get ready to participate or that we feel the rest of the congregation is meeting at the wrong time and too often. you can take from that what you will. Song leaders, did you know I'm impressed with the song leading at this church by the way. Did you know song leaders that you carefully chosen songs and thought put into song leading can do more in preparing a congregation for worship than a 20-minute devotional. It can, it does. If you put thought and effort into your song leading, you can do more in preparing and leading a congregation in worship than a 20-minute devotional. Your appearance at a collective worship service is a reflection of your attitude in worship. So what then should be our attitude in worship? Five attitudes that we should have in closing here. When we come before God in worship, we prepare our hearts and our minds. And this preparation, takes it takes time and effort. Maybe more today in our busy lifestyles than ever before. It takes time of... Being quiet. Planning ahead. This is my testimony. I'm not sure that it it doesn't always work, but this is what we try to do as a family. If we can get up in good time on a Sunday morning, get finished with breakfast, we make it a point to try to just sit down for 10, 5, 10, 15 minutes before it's time to go to church. And just even if the children can read a book, just prepare their we're not really preparing their minds for worship. They're not quite there yet, but it can prepare their disposition for worship. It can do a lot for my wife and I to just not be hurried and rushed when we get to church. That's why I said earlier that when we, if we rush up to the last minute and you come to church and you, you're making sure every, you remembered everybody and everything and you get in church and you sit down, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's even possible to just sit, flip a switch, and suddenly I'm ready to worship. I don't think that works. So our attitude in coming to God in worship first is fear and reverence. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in thy fear I will worship toward thy holy temple. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Remember the holiness of God. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Quiet reverence. Needs to be our attitude. Habakkuk 2.20 But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Praise. Luke 19 says, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And then we need to have an attitude of prayer. In Acts it says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. So my challenge to you this morning is this. You are made in the image of God for a purpose. His image is on you. Are you ready to give that back to Him which is your reasonable service or which is your spiritual act of worship. Our lives need to be a living sacrifice of worship privately so that we can have a meaningful collective worship when we come together. Having prepared our hearts, having washed our hands, prepared our hearts, we ascend unto the hill of the Lord and then we leave the result of that leaving will be a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation.